Welcome to this week's edition of the St. Paul Podcast. I'm Peter Marty, Senior Pastor of St. Paul Lutheran Church, located in the heart of Davenport, Iowa. Right here each week, you can hear a message to inspire your walk with God and hear beautiful music to fill your life. Let this podcast be your occasion to contemplate some of the deepest things in life, just as I hope it helps faith come alive for you.
I'm Pastor Megan. During the season of Lent, these 40 days leading up to Easter Sunday, we focus a little more closely in worship on this topic of forgiveness. God's grace, after all, is what makes this time of year so profound as we follow Jesus' footsteps to the cross and the grave and back to life again. That same grace is what pulses through our veins and gives us life each day, individually and communally. I mean, I can't think of a single relationship I've ever been in or witnessed that has not had a need for forgiveness and mercy. It's that significant. So it's worth spending some time today reflecting on what it means to forgive and be forgiven. There are hundreds of Bible passages on grace that we might use to guide our reflection. For today, though, I thought we might use this beautiful bit of poetry from Psalm 130. It's written in our voice, in the first person, and it goes like this. Out of the depths I cry to you, Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to my cry for mercy. If you, Lord, counted every one of our sins, Lord, who could stand? But with you, there is forgiveness, so that we can, with reverence, serve you. I wait for the Lord, my whole being waits, and in God's word I put my hope. I wait for the Lord, more than watchmen wait for the morning. More than watchmen wait for the morning. Israel, put your hope in the Lord. For with the Lord is unfailing love, and with God is full redemption. God will redeem Israel from all their sins. Let's let this psalm settle in. Maybe even replay it a few times if you like, or read it from your personal Bible before continuing on to this next little reflection. I invite you to think back, if you will, throughout your life and try to remember what was the very first news story that you can recall? The very first news story. Perhaps it was a television news clip that is stuck in your mind. Or maybe it was a national radio broadcast that you can still hear bits and pieces of. Or perhaps it was a snippet from a local newspaper that if you were to just close your eyes, you can still imagine that headline. What's the earliest bit of news you absorbed? And how might it have changed the way that you see and approach the world? Well, that's a pretty big question. So I'll give you some time here to think about it while I give a little example from my life. I know the very first news clip that I can remember that embedded itself in my long-term memory broke in 2003. I was seven years old, and I vividly remember standing in front of our 30-inch Sony TV and seeing the face of Kylie Harriet, a five-year-old girl from Dorchester County. Just two years earlier, Kylie was playing on her family's front porch with her cousins, when a gang fight broke out across the street. This fight broke out and a stray bullet from a gun hit her in the spine, shattering her spine and ultimately paralyzing her from the waist down. 
that footage of paramedics carrying this little toddler down the steps of their home was heartbreaking, for sure. But that's not what my seven-year-old self remembers. What I remember most from that news story is this 15-second clip of Kylie testifying in front of a grand jury and this man, Anthony Warren, who had shot her accidentally. Her mom wheeled her up, her wheelchair up to the podium and bent the microphone all the way down so that it could reach her. And in that impossibly tiny and sweet voice of a toddler, she said these words, what Anthony Warren did was wrong, but I still forgive him. Now, I don't know how Kylie came up with those words, I still forgive him. I'm not sure if her parents and her lawyer gave her that to say or if she came up with it all on her own. But there was no doubt in my mind when I saw that clip that Kylie meant all 11 words of her testimony. And it's stuck with me ever since. To be honest, my 26-year-old mind is still trying to fully process it because there are so many ways that Kylie's practice of forgiveness seems to defy everything that society would tell us that forgiveness looks like. I mean, think about it. It's most often children who are expected to apologize to adults. Adults are the ones who are supposed to know better and kids who make mistakes. But there was this preschooler saying, I forgive you to a grown man. And what's more is that Kylie didn't offer her forgiveness after an apology. At this point in the trial, Warren was still pleading not guilty. He was a free man out on parole. He'd done nothing to earn that forgiveness of her. And yet, there she was, saying, I forgive you, after a tragedy that left her paralyzed, unable to walk again, never going to learn to jump rope, can't even get in and out of a car without special equipment and assistance. So nothing in this story resembles that traditional pattern for forgiveness. And the reason I'm taking us into a deep dive into Kylie's story is just because of how well her backwards sort of unexpected display of mercy resembles that of God's. In church, we spend a lot of time reflecting on what it means to be forgiven by God. Every week, we pray in the Lord's Prayer that God might forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And during Lent, we open worship with a confession and forgiveness sometimes. That part in the liturgy where we individually reflect on our own faults and failings before collectively admitting those to God and asking forgiveness. And at first glance, even those sacred parts of worship appear to conform to the world's forgiveness formula, with that remorse first followed by forgiveness second. But if we really stop and study God's grace in Scripture, that pattern couldn't be further from the truth. God's ways of mercy and forgiveness are radically different from our own. The Bible is full of examples and witnesses to God's upside-down habits of grace. And we read one of those today in Psalm 130. I want to call our attention in particular to two verses in the middle, verses 3 and 4. 
Those verses read, If you, O Lord, should count my sins, who could stand? Or in other words, if God kept track of every single time that we disregarded God or that we disobeyed, who could stand blameless? If we had to carry the weight of those sins on our backs week after week into church, oh, many of us would probably be crushed to the floor before we could even make it through the doors. But as the psalmist writes, already there is forgiveness with God. We did not have to ask for or earn God's forgiveness. God freely gives it. And why? According to this psalm, God forgives so God may be revered. Meaning, if our iniquity or our sin is how we get separated from God, then God's forgiveness is how we are realigned and reunited with God. When God insists on forgiving us, that's God insisting on a relationship with us. I think when it comes to forgiveness, we often get caught up in worrying about the character of the forgiven, what they've done to deserve mercy. But this psalm shows us that forgiveness is so much more about the character of the one forgiving. When it comes to forgiveness, it's not about how the other expresses remorse or learns their lesson or makes amends. But it's about the forgiving one insisting on a renewed relationship. It's about moving forward together. In that sense, forgiveness is a blessing to both the one forgiven and the one forgiving. As another example, think about Jesus' last days on earth. Jesus was arrested and put on trial before Pontius Pilate. And beside him, a man named Barabbas, one of Jerusalem's most wanted criminals. And Pilate said to the crowd, I will release one of these prisoners to you. And who did they pick? Not the man who had spent the last years of his life healing people and spreading the good news of God's love. No, they said, we want Barabbas. Effectively sentencing Jesus to the most humiliating and painful death imaginable. They mocked him. They spit on him. They beat him. And they left him on that cross to die. And after there was no expression of remorse, the crowd didn't band together again to apologize to God for killing God's one and only son. No, it was God who made the first move at reconciliation. God who conquered death and returned to the world in order to show people the lengths that God is willing to go to forgive us and hold us close. It's only in the face of that divine grace that we as children of God have that humility and self-awareness perhaps to reach out to God, to confess our sins, and to hold tight to that relationship right back. So confession and forgiveness is not this one-way formula that starts with the sinner and ends with the forgiver. But instead, it's this ongoing acceptance and sharing of grace that God began for all of us to live in relationship with one another, all of us imperfect and ever-maturing.
We participate in this perpetual extension and embrace of mercy that God first put into motion. God whose very essence is forgiveness. There's a Jewish psychologist who I believe has one of the most profound takes on forgiveness and its power to bring renewal and healing. Her name is Dr. Edith Egger. Edith was born in Slovakia a few years before World War II. And during the war, her and her family were all sent to concentration camps. And of all of them, her parents, her siblings, her cousins, only Edith and her sister survived. She now lives in the U.S. where she's worked as a psychologist and an author, specializing in PTSD treatment. And one of her most famous books is called The Gift, where she outlines these 12 keys for recovering from trauma. One of those keys is forgiveness. And this is what she writes about it. Forgiveness isn't something we do for the person who's hurt us. It's something we do for ourselves. So we're no longer victims or prisoners of the past. So we can stop carrying a burden that harbors nothing but pain. Forgiveness is how you release yourself from pain that you did not ask for. It's about freeing yourself from anger that might be festering inside of you. And it's about giving all people, yourself and others included, permission to prioritize healing over hurting. Permission to move forward instead of staying stuck in the past. Too often, I think, we fall into this mind trap of believing that seeking justice requires holding grudges or that every action has an equal and opposite reaction or correction. I don't mean to suggest that accountability isn't important or necessary, because it is. But holding on to bitterness and resentment only keeps the hurt hurting. It's forgiveness that opens the doors for healing and hope. If you won't take my word for it, take Kylie Harriet's. Kylie is now a 22-year-old junior in college. She's majoring in social justice, and last summer she completed a study abroad in Brazil where she worked with kids there who have disabilities, helping them learn how to navigate daily life. And in a recent television news interview, a journalist asked Kylie about her experiences in life and what her exact secret was to her resiliency that helped her when she was three years old and all the way up through today. And this was Kylie's response. My secret is forgiveness. But not the kind of forgiveness that ends when somebody says, I forgive you. That's just the start of grieving and rebuilding. The start of long-term forgiveness. So, as we move forward together in this Lenten season, following in Jesus' footsteps closer and closer to the cross, let's keep reflecting on what God's radical forgiveness has already done in our lives and for our relationships. How God holds tight to us even before we've realized our mistakes or misdeeds. God has already set that 
commitment to long-term forgiveness and renewal in motion. We don't have to get the ball rolling ourselves. We just get to join in. Amen. pray together as Jesus taught us. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, as we forgive those who sin against us. Save us from the time of trial, and deliver us from evil. For the kingdom, and the power, and the glory are yours, now and forever. Amen. If the Lord were to count every one of our sins, who could stand? No one, if we're all being honest. So praise be to God for God's persistent, unfailing ways of grace. That divine pattern of forgiveness that prioritizes healing over hurting and relationships over isolation. God has already done the hard work of putting long-term forgiveness in motion, of establishing grace for us as a way of life. So, it's not about us making the first move at reconciliation. It's about moving with the spirit of renewal. Wherever you are in your spiritual journey, may the God of glory dwell in you richly and shine brightly on your path and the blessing of Almighty God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit be upon you and remain with you always. I hope you've enjoyed this podcast, and thanks for your support of the ministries of St. Paul Lutheran Church. Our commitment to projects that lend hope to other people stretches across the country and around the world. We hope that in a good way you feel a part of that reach. Tune in next Thursday for another edition of the St. Paul Podcast.